You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. In this episode, Donnie Drake is live, and we talk elk. Learn his secrets to help you land your biggest bull to date. We talk about calling, setup strategies, things to do, and things you shouldn't. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, this is Donnie Drake, and I'm here with Zach on Archery Maniacs for a little, a little chit-chat, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm excited to have you, Donnie. Like I told you, I was <laughs> I was looking at your pictures, and uh, some of which are with Corey Jacobson, and and I, honestly, I couldn't tell you guys apart. And I <laughs> I had to go and look through a lot more of your pictures to figure out which one was you. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely the better looking one, I think. <laughs> At least that's what my wife tells me. So there you go, there you go. She's on the right page. She's on the right page. But yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I appreciate you. You know, hopping on, getting getting done with work today, and then coming over and hopping on the podcast with me at making some time for some people, and uh, you know, giving people something good to listen to. So I appreciate you taking your time out of this evening. Yeah, definitely. It's always always fun to talk about hunting once the. Uh, snow starts flying and before those winter blues start setting in yeah exactly we we all kind of sit back and start reminiscing it was only two or three months ago but it seems like forever ago now doesn't it <laughs> oh definitely well one of the good things is we were our season this year we were recording with cody and trent from born and raised on the land of the free project and so so I was able to watch the whole thing again, and now it's it's gotten addicting where you you want to watch it every night now, just to uh, keep that September rolling on. Oh no, kidding! And that's that is one thing that I that it, ever since I started the podcast, I've been doing it for. Uh, it was a it was a year in August, so a year and a couple months. And I've noticed kind of like your guys' project with the land of the free, kind of the same thing. It just – it kind of keeps you engulfed in in hunting in September, October, November. It kind of keeps you stuck in those months, and yep. it's amazing. Like I, I shot my bow more this year than I ever have before because it felt like every month September was right around the corner. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. Yeah, when you're talking about it year-round, and it's uh, always at the forefront of the mind. Yeah, absolutely. So 
So, you know, Donnie, like, obviously everybody kind of has their own story on how they got started into archery and hunting in the outdoors. Um, yep. So, you know, what, where, where did your start begin? So I grew up in uh, Ely, Nevada, out in the middle of nowhere, but a great place to be able to grow up at. <laughs> and not... My dad wasn't so much of a hunter. I mean, he'd hunt every year, but it wasn't something that uh, was to live and die for. And it's going to sound odd, and I may be the only one, but my aunt and my female cousin were huge archery hunters. And uh, when I was 12, I shot my first deer with a rifle. And the next year, I uh, got me a, a bow and been archery hunting since I was 13. So it was pretty pretty fun. It's a lot different hunting back then, but yeah, it, uh, the the days of driving around in the road on the pickup truck are long gone. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? You know, it's it's funny that you say that because you know I. I'm definitely haven't been hunting all that long. Uh, you know, I'm only 26 years old, but yep. e even, you know, in the, I've been hunting since it was legal, you know, since I was 12. And even just since those years have passed, the, you know, the evolution of hunting and the hunter with, you know, the modern day bows and the modern day gear that is so much more lightweight and more durable and just everything added up to it. You know, it's just, it's a different game. Yeah. Well, probably the biggest thing is having Google earth and on X and everything. And, you know, you used to have to look at a paper map to see what there was. And now being able to, you know, tilt and rotate and, Oh, this Canyon goes here and there. Be able to zoom in. Oh, there's water in that creek. I never knew that. So, yeah, that's definitely been a huge advantage. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and I agree. I think that that's one of my favorite uh, favorite tools to use is, is being able to tilt it and look at the actual landscape. You know, you, you feel yep. like you get so much more of a feel for the land, especially when it's an area that you've never been before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I go back to the areas that I hunted when I grew up. You know, we wouldn't get more than half a mile to a mile from the road. Now I zoom in there and look at it. I'm like, man, look at that drainage there. Look at that drainage there. <laughs> I'd only gotten there's so much terrain that didn't get covered that you would cover nowadays. Yeah, and it, and it's just kind of it's kind of funny because you look at it. And and you're like, man, I I didn't even think to go over there. You know, the hunting yeah. the hunting was good enough here. I didn't even think to yep. go over there, but man, it looks so good over there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, you you mentioned a little bit about how your aunt and your cousin were pretty big into archery. Um. How long did it take you to to uh, shoot your first animal with a bow? 
it actually took me quite a few years. <laughs> me too. I think, <laughs> I think I hunted elk for 17 years with a bow before I shot one. And I think it was, I think I was, gosh, I probably was 33, 34. The first animal I shot with my bow was actually an antelope up here in Idaho with, with Corey years ago. So, yeah, it took me a long time to figure it out. I, I, I don't think it's something that comes quickly. You know, I... It took me, gosh, not quite that long, but still, um, you know, it, it was. I and I think I think bow hunting as myself, you know, when I was twelve, as opposed to when you know when you were twelve and thirteen, the equipment even between then and then was just so much different, you know. Oh yeah, like night and day, and so. You know, even still, though, I gosh, I think it took me four, four to six years still, you know, so it's yeah. it's just not something that you just generally, you know, generally, I don't yeah. think you just pick it up and and go and start slaying animals with your bow. <laughs> yeah, def- yeah, it's a little easier nowadays, but yep. it's uh, I mean, it, uh, my first bow was a Martin Bobcat. And I had to order it through the mail because I was left-handed. Nobody had one. Oh, I'm left-handed, and, uh, too, so I understand the struggle. <laughs> yeah, so it was an old Martin Bobcat and wasn't sure on my draw length. And we just bought it and brought it in and fiddled with it until uh, until I was able to shoot the old XX75s out of it. and Or they were I can't remember. Maybe they're twenty-one, twenty-fives, but yeah, it was totally different. You can't just go to the bow shop and shoot three or four of them over the counter and go back to the target range and just start shooting them and find one that's comfortable. Back then, it was just kind of you got the one that that you had and you figured out a way to make it work. Yeah, no case, especially being left-handed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I I grew up in a super small town as well. It's like 350 people. So, yeah. you know, obviously we didn't have a bow shop or anything like that. So when I would go to a town, and the closest town wasn't that big either. It's like 9,000 people, you know. So even there, when I would go to the bow shop, they didn't have anything left-handed either. So, yep. <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just like an ongoing struggle being left-handed. I I even there for a while I, was, I I bought a right-handed bone. I was like, I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to learn how to shoot right-handed and everything's going to come easier once I learn how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was I was uh helping out at one of the local archery shops here a few years ago working down there setting up bows and stuff. You know, it really forced me to be able to get pretty pretty efficient at drawing back and shooting right-handed. And Corey always said that my form was better right-handed than it was left-handed. <laughs> so, but it's just because I had to concentrate. 
Yeah, and of course yeah. he would say that, you know, being that he's right-handed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh man, so so do you have do you have a, a favorite animal that you that you like to chase with your bow? Oh, I love chasing elk just just because of the interaction that you have with them is is like no other animal. Just being able to talk back and forth and trying to get them called into you, making them think that you're a sexy cow and. Or that you're another bull that is bigger and more badass than he is and wants to come in and challenge you. Yeah. yeah. No, it's def- definitely elk. Yeah, the song and the dance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so when, when in your archery career did you start hunting elk? right away with your archery tackle or did you you know because you'd mentioned that antelope was the first one that you shot with your bow did you start yeah. hunting elk right away as well or did you nope it was it was uh mule deer down where i grew up you couldn't draw any you couldn't uh get a tag for the elk that were around our area gotcha so uh i was just hunting mule deer then i moved up up here to uh, Idaho, and probably three years after, I I went to school and started working and didn't hunt for a couple of years with archery equipment, then uh, picked it up and started hunting elk. Uh, I was probably 21 when I started back at it. Man, so... So you, from like 21, you hunted a while, you know, you said something like 15 or 17 years before you shot your first elk. So, so kind of, you know, I know a lot of people that after the first one or two years of bow hunting, they haven't shot anything and they're done. They're, they don't want it no more. They, they go back to the rifle and, that's cool with me. Like I, I love rifle hunting too. So I, you know, definitely not downing rifles. But what, you know, what was it that kept you, you know, kept you coming back, even after, you know, even after it was such a struggle? It what, like, what kept you coming back? Yeah, well, even even today, if I couldn't if I couldn't go out hunting, I'd still want to go out and do it just to be able to interact and hear the bugles the way that they are in September. Yep. So that's that kept me going, getting out there and, you know, trying to – you can hear them for a long ways, and then the next goal is to be able to see them from a, a short distance. Right. <laughs> yep. Well, and, the, and back in the day in Idaho, the season was a little bit different. You could, you know, hunt with archery equipment during September. And then if you weren't successful, you could go back and hunt them with your rifle later on in the year. So you kind of, it was kind of the best of both worlds, but that needed to, needed to change in order to be able to manage populations and such. Yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. Uh, it, with yeah. 
so what was it like when when it finally came together and and you were able to to get an elk within range and uh and you were able to get an arrow in it well i uh i let out a a pretty big holler when it finally <laughs> happened <laughs> i could imagine <laughs> yeah yeah Corey was right over my shoulder and yeah it kind of happened when we were least expecting it and the elk walked in 15 yards underneath me and i just saw it just released and then he crashed 40 yards down the hill and it was like yes <laughs> finally yeah like it came together yeah oh man i could yeah. so you shot him from a tree stand no 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 we were on the ground oh okay i got you i got you when you said he came underneath you i just i thought maybe that you guys were well, we we're, were on a kind of a little knoll and he came in the timber right underneath us at 15 yards. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Was, was your heart pounding out of your chest? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I still remember the first elk I ever shot. I, I yeah. looked over, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's an elk right there. And I told myself, I was like, He's got sticks on his head or something. <laughs> and then and then he takes another step and gets away from that tree. And I was like, oh, that's a six by six bull. And my heart starts pounding. I look down and I'm not kidding. Just as you know. I mean, you know, you've lived it. My camo was shaken because my heart was pounding so hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's uh, on the land of the free this year. That's about how my reaction is every year when I shoot something. So I got I got a little emotional afterwards and kind of lost control of myself. <laughs> no, but I, I I feel that if if you don't, you know, if it if it's not that strong of a feeling for you, you know, and you don't get excited about it, then you know what? Are you, why are you there? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Definitely. So, so with, with elk being your favorite, you know, what are what are a few of your your most favorite tactics for calling an elk in? Um, primarily just locating them and then getting in close as you can and challenging them, calling them a bunch of names and. Going in there and picking a fight with them. Yeah. Just getting them, getting them riled up that they have just had enough of what you had to say, and you just tell them to come over here and and prove it. If you're such a bad guy, get over here and fight me. Yeah. So with that, how often? Because I, you know, I've done it before. Um, I've seen it once in a while, but. It might be something more so that people are like, yeah, you should be doing this, but the people that actually call an elk don't ever do it. <laughs> you know, so like how do you ever, you know, rake trees and, and break branches and stuff like that very often? Or is that something that's 
more of like a thing that people see and think they should do, but really shouldn't? Um, well, whenever we got a bull going, it's we're doing everything that we can, and that's including raking. I'm looking at my hand right now, and I got a scar on my hand from this year raking a tree while we were out. And, you know, you you, you got to get into it, and it, I don't know, I think that you get, the hunter gets as fired up as the bull's getting fired up. Right. And, yep, you're going to challenge them. You got to go big or go home. So, with with the raking, do you normally do something like that when when the bull itself sends like a sends like a challenge bugle or something like what what's kind of your cue that that you should rake? Well, if he is if he is just bugling and not uh, getting any closer, you know, you get you know a couple of minutes of him either not responding and moving towards you, mm-hmm. then, you know, after after I bugle, then I'll rake a, few, a, few, a tree a few times and uh, bugle right again afterwards. And a lot of times he'll bugle and he'll start raking. And then we take that opportunity to move up 20, 30, 40 yards while he is raking. And then uh, just kind of keep closing the gap. And a lot of times we've had a lot of bulls that are just hung up. They'll just be bugling and you start raking. And it just is another sense that uh, triggers in them and gets them to be a little more curious that why, why are you doing that? Why are you tearing stuff up? I'm you must be ready to fight. Okay. And that and that makes sense. You know, it's kind of kind of like uh you know when the boxer sticks steps actually in the ring, you know? Uh, all the music and fire yep. and this that and whatever is is what it is until he actually steps in the ring. And so yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So Yeah. So what about what about cow calls? You know, because I, you know, I, I I've heard a lot of different ways that cow calls should be used, um, but you know, it's from some people that that I would trust in, and then others are people that that I've seen them shoot a, an elk or two in their entire life, and and I don't know whether to trust them or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I mean, do you? Do you go into an area and the first thing that you do is a location bugle, or do you go into an area and and start cow calling, you know, because the timber's so thick? Or what, what's kind of your first play in a, in a new area like that? So pretty much every time that we get to a spot that we are going to see if there's any elk close by, we'll let out two or three cow calls. Just... <laughs> Every single time, cow call first, because if there's a bull 100 yards away and he responds, I want to be able to 
cut him off with a bugle. He responds to that cow call, and it kind of lets me know that, yeah, there's a bull right over there. Maybe we should get over here before we challenge him to it with a bugle. But, yeah, we always lead off with, with a, you know, two, three cow calls just to just to see if he's going to respond close. And then we follow it up with a location bugle if we don't have, don't get any response from that cow call. I got you. So when you, you know you just said that you, we just try and cut them off with uh, with a bugle. So if they start bugling, you try and cut them off. Do you do that every single time you hear an elk bugle, or you know, because obviously when you do a location bugle. You're basically expecting a location bugle back, right? So correct. So at what point are are you like jumping on a bugle right away with another bugle? Once we are in about a hundred yards or so, okay. just just is screaming and challenging him from across the canyon is. You know, you know, a guy standing across the street hollering names at you, you're not going to really do anything about it. But yeah, yeah. if he moves over onto the same side of the sidewalk as you and starts screaming in your face, then uh, you're more likely going to want to uh, engage in the conflict. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding, especially if it has yeah. to do with your wife. <laughs> yeah anybody that's yeah. Well, we we try and talk about their their mom a lot is who we always are trying to insult when when we're bugling back at them i got you they don't like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can imagine so as do you do you guys usually set up you know with with the hunter and then the caller you know seventy five to one hundred and twenty yards behind or is the caller usually a little closer? How do you guys usually tend to set up? We're probably twenty to forty yards. If we're in really thick timber, it, we can be a little bit closer. Or a lot of times we'll set up, you know, 20 yards if you're on like a finger ridge or something like that. You're not going to set up down in the bottom of a draw. You're going to be up the ridge a little bit or halfway, three quarters of the way up. And then the collar will just get just over the backside of that ridge to get them to pull up to that to that ridge. And you're on the other side of the ridge. But yeah, typically, and then it's always nice if you can, you know, kind of see through the timber to where the the shooter is, so that you know you can guide yourself. And if the bull starts moving right or left, you're able to swing around to the side to get him to come across in front of the shooter. Instead of you know, you can see where each other are. And able, and able to respond to try and uh, guide shot. that elk in front of that hunter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yep. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you look up and it looks like the elk is going to go 
90 yards from the hunter and you can reposition yourself as a caller so he comes by at 50 i mean that makes perfect sense yeah definitely cool yeah i i the the elk that uh cory called in for me this year he came across the meadow and cory was up to my right a little bit and the elk was coming straight towards him and i was down to the left the bull bugled and Corey's like, I got to pull him across in front of Donnie before he gets over there where the wind's going to get him. So Corey had to run down the, you know, to his left, to my left, you know, 60 yards. And when he did, got over there, bugled, the elk turned, you know, 90, deg- 90 degrees and came down in front of me instead of walking on past me on my right. Gotcha. Yeah, and and that that right there makes a lot of sense. You know, he, Corey was able to look up and say, hey, look out there and say, oh wow, you know that the elk is the elk is going to wind him before he gets within range. So I got to move a little to the left in order to get yep. the elk within yep. range before he wins him. Like that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And also, if the shooter out front is able to see the elk at, you know, 80 yards, and he he's able to see that elk raking a tree out there. He's able to move forward quite a bit, and then, that way the caller also can see, okay, he moved forward. I'm going to move forward with him as, you know, kind of rubber banding each other that way as you move forward. Yep. So what about... Uh, do you do you got do you basically always hunt with with another caller or do you hunt solo as well? Typically, we're always running running at least two people, a shooter and a caller. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Cool. I, I mean, <laughs> that seems that seems way better to me because then even when you guys do shoot, when you have another person to help you pack it out. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's always beneficial. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. there is a lot of meat there. <laughs> oh, yeah, more than you want to be carrying by yourself, and it's it's a lot with two people. This year I had six people, so it, it worked out pretty good. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, you split an elk between six people, and you're looking at like what 50 60 pounds a person maybe less 40 yeah that's pretty good <laughs> yeah yeah this makes it nice yeah especially to be able to to share it with people yeah. that camaraderie that you have with those other guys is you know that's one of the things i love about being able to go out is just being able to you know spend that time out in the hills and there's a there's a lot of a lot of downtime before you're you're actually killing something. Yeah, and, and and I and I think so too. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of being around the the guys that you like to be around. You know, the the ones that the ones that yeah. you're up there that whether you kill something or not, it was worth it because you got to go hang out with your buddies. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And that. Yeah. That's just 
gosh dang, half, half my stories are something where we where we didn't even end up shooting anything. But man, we have a heck of a story yeah. to tell, anyways. <laughs> yep, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you have a uh, you have a month to uh, to uh, fill yourself up for that eleven months before you're able to do it again, and you know, like Dury or Dury. Corey and Dirk are like my, you know, sister wives, <laughs> pretty much married to each other all September. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good time. That's so cool. That's cool. So do you, do you basically hunt just elk nowadays, or do you, you know, do you hunt deer and things like that with your bow or rifle or anything else? I have not shot anything with a rifle, and uh, it's probably been ten years or so. The uh, but I do like to try and get out. There's you know some late archery deer hunts and stuff. We go get out and chase bears with our bows, and you know do a little spring bear hunting and stuff. So uh-huh. that's always fun. Yeah. Yep. But then you know 3D shoots all. All summer long, so get to shoot a lot of animals during the summer at all of the ski resorts. <laughs> yeah, and a nice groomed trail and everything. That's the way to have it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How? Yeah. How, with that, you know, because I know a lot of hunters. Um, in myself, I used to be in the boat where I was like, man, I, I don't want to spend the money to go to these shoots and all that other junk because I, I just want to spend my money and go hunting. And that's what I want to do, you know. So yeah. how, do, how do you feel that, you know, going to these 3D shoots and things like that, how do you feel that that's helped you when it comes to hunting situations? Oh, yeah, I think that that's <laughs> – you can't put a, a value on how important that is. Just, you know, you can set your target out in your yard or out in the field or at a range, and it's just flat shooting. At the 3D events, you know, you shoot 20 shots on a course, and you got your, you get to see how that elevation affects your shot, you get to see how, you know, objects trying to shoot in between trees, like an actual hunting scenario, just to get that feel of what you're going to have to deal with once you're out in the hunting woods and hopefully prepare yourself a little bit to be ready when you do have an elk come in between two trees and it's not just uh, a gravel pathway to a target out there. You know, it, it just it just helps during the off season to be able to try and get out and at least hit one or two. Yeah, and 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 that I think you make a great point there. You know, I think even something as simple as rather than shooting the normal twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, shoot. 25 35 45 55 you know exactly or, or something that I that I started doing in how I haven't broken arrow yet I don't really know but I have it's just a knock really you know but I what I 
do. Yeah. I just pull my arrows out of my target, and I just throw them across the yard. And wherever those arrows land, yeah. I go there, I pick it up, and I shoot it. And yep. like like you're saying, that just adds that just adds inconsistency because the likelihood of an elk stopping or a deer or whatever you're hunting stopping exactly at 30 yards is very, very, very slim. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and horizontal to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know that I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever shot one that's horizontal. Yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's not always just a flat shot. Yeah, perfect flat ground, perfectly broadside. That's how it happens every time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, that, and that's just it. You know, when they get those courses set up, they try and make them as realistic of real world shots that you would be taking to know mentally prepare you for when season does come around yep now if you have um a hunting story like we talked at the very beginning yep um to share that yep. would oh. be awesome i definitely have definitely something i want to touch on so cool yeah well you could just go ahead and go right into her all right. So if you're talking about shots and and not being prepared for a shot and such, when if you watch the uh, Land of the Free project, when I shot my elk this year, we had been, I'm not trying to make an excuse here, but I'm making an excuse. So when we were out there, we were six miles from the truck. It was 1.30 in the afternoon, and uh, the bugles had died down. We start walking back, and we get a bull that Corey lets out a, a cow call, and this bull responds with a bedded bugle and then decides that he's going to come across an open meadow and come in at 1.30 in the afternoon. I had... Uh, placed my reed in my bino bivy just because we were walking back and I totally didn't even think about it. And then come the time we get this elk coming into shooting range, I was so worried about getting set up and finding my range and everything. When that elk walked in, he comes walking across in front of me at 35 yards and I go to blow across my reed that is typically in my mouth all the time and it's not there. Oh no! And so, so I took a shot my shot I just kind of tried to lead him a little bit mm -hmm. and it, it wound up hitting him back and high because of his stride and you know it, it by god's grace it worked out because i hit him through the femoral artery and he ran 30 yards and died in eyesight 
but if you always have to be able to try and stop the animal before you take that shot because it's so hard to think about everything that you're doing uh-huh. and it, that moving object with a bow is just you can't lead them far enough and expect to hit exactly where you're thinking you're going to hit and it it worked out and I'm going to try and use it as a a, a learning tool to be able to you know reinforce that that you need to stop the animal before you take those shots just I, I almost didn't want to show that footage because of because I totally miffed that shot and it was just I was as soon as it happened I was just like no yep and I I had another arrow on my rest in a second and a half I I knew that my shot was bad as soon as as soon as I saw it go out I'm like no I didn't stop him so yeah just in you know even if what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to take a read with me and before every shot just to try and psychologically give me some muscle memory to blow my read before I take my shot just to uh, you know try and remember that that's something that I is critical to be able to stop the animal before you take that shot. Yeah, no, and and I agree, and I I think that uh, you kind of you get into like this mindset, you know, especially especially when you work so hard to finally make it all come together, and here it all comes together, and you almost get into this mindset where it's like I'm I'm gonna make this happen, and I'm gonna shoot no matter what. Like, yep. you know, especially, yeah. especially, you know, if, if an animal's out there at night, 80 yards or right at the end of your effective range, you know, 70, 80 yards, you're, you're most likely not going to draw back and be like, yeah, I'm going to shoot while he's moving. But if that animal's at 20 yeah. or 30 yards, it's a lot harder to talk yourself out of shooting while it's moving at 20 yards. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because everything, your bow, especially nowadays, man, they shoot so quick. When you see an animal walking through a shooting gap that you have, you know, shooting opening at 20 yards, yeah. you know, the last thing to cross your mind is, yeah, I should stop him right there. You know, you're just, you're focused. Yep. I'm going to shoot. Right here, this is where I got him. Oh, there he is. Let's shoot. Go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, with an elk, you know, he takes one step, and he's moving three feet in oh, that one no step. Kidding. And, you know, that's... <laughs> and especially, they're, yeah. they're usually in dark timber. Not usually, but every once yeah. in a while, you know, there's aspens or, or pine trees or whatever else all over. So they take that one step. And now all you can see is their butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if you don't have a reading, I mean, I get to relive this shot every time now that I watch this video. And I could have just, you know, did a mouth call or bleated and said, you know, or just 
said, stop. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. And, and they, they would most all the time, they're just going to freeze right where they are at and assess the situation and then bolt, you know, but it's usually enough time for you to settle your pin and, and touch that trigger and be done. But yeah, just if there's anything I could stress more is is uh, try and get them to stop before you release an arrow. Well, awesome that, and I agree completely. You know, I I don't know the number of times that I've you know went to go shoot something and you know let out what whatever noise comes out of my mouth when I'm at full draw. But either way, I, I agree. I think the importance of stopping that animal um, as you're going to shoot, because these bows are quick, but they're not that quick. You know, no. you're, you're not shooting yeah. a rifle. So uh, no. you, they just, it's just, it's going to be more ethical uh, cleaner kill, quicker kill, um, and better on your conscience if you just simply stop the animal. So I agree. Yes, definitely. Well, perfect. perfect. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I I appreciate you sharing a story that that that's you know not the way you want it to turn out. Um, because the number of our wow. as you know, especially with with how many new people are getting started in archery nowadays, um. It, you know, they they need to hear stories like that because it's the real world. You know, it's not, yeah. you know, every single person doesn't make a perfect lung or heart shot every single time. It just doesn't happen. So no. I appreciate you sharing the story. I really do. Yes. Yeah, so I, I felt that was something that I needed to share because I'll never live it down. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but. I did get I did get lucky and, and you know he he did drop thirty yards from the shot so everything worked out but there's definitely a learning experience in that shot. Yep, one hundred percent. Well, yeah, thanks thanks so much for hopping on the show tonight and sharing your story and your tips and your tactics and everything else. I, I really appreciate it. I had a good time getting to know you and, and learning some stuff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. Maybe sometime in the future or something, we'll have to have you back on the show. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, Donnie. Well, thanks again, and you have a great evening. All right. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Brian Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.